Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. I got a very important message for you. It's the right one for the right time and the right place. Father, I'm asking you as I open your word today that the great grace that you've given us in Jesus would capture us again. The beginning of this new year, in the midst of turmoil that has touched the world, lift up your people and strengthen my pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Every one of us need inspiration. Uh, there's a tremendous capacity in human beings to be inspiring to one another and to receive inspiration. Problem is that there's also an immense capacity in human beings for distraction. Um, years ago, uh, God encountered me as a 19-year-old. Um, I did not want to be a minister. I just wanted to be a high school teacher. I went to church one Sunday morning and the Holy Spirit just knocked my ball out of the park. And over those next four days, as I contemplated the stirring of God in my life, he spoke to me on the Thursday afternoon and said, I want you to be a minister. And I thought it was the worst thing I'd ever heard in my life. I didn't want to be a minister. I wanted to be a school teacher. And it shocked me and deeply, deeply distressed me. But I knew from that moment I had a call on my life. And a few years later, I graduated from uni and went out and became a high school teacher. But I went out to be a teacher knowing that I had an, another calling. But I wasn't ready for it. I felt timid. I felt overwhelmed by the challenge. Uh, I felt alone as if there, you know, I, I was doing, no one understood the, the feelings I had and the distress I was in. And right at that time, uh, a really helpful young man came into my life. His name was Alex. He came from another state, and because he was a Lutheran in another state, he came to Melbourne and, of course, joined our, joined our Lutheran church. Um, and he was very different to me. He had a very different encounter with God than I had. Um, he'd come to Christ through Campus Crusade. And so he was gung-ho. And uh, it was his enthusiasm and his kind of his rampant commitment to Jesus that I found immensely encouraging. And together we teamed up and became youth leaders in our church. And over the next few years, we turned the place upside down. Uh, I was called into an eldership meeting and rebuked because we were planning to preach apparently for two and a quarter hours. I don't know where they got, I didn't have enough material for two and a quarter hours. But, but that we were disturbing even to the eldership, that we were a little bit excited. We did street marches, we had outreaches, and, and it was just a great period of time. And he was an immense encouragement to my soul. A couple of years later, he then returned to where he came from to finish his law degree. He felt like uh, he, he wanted to go back and finish his degree. And as a result, uh, Alex left my life after two years of tremendous encouragement. We never met again for 17 years. And the next time we met, he phoned me up. I hadn't heard from him since back in the early 70s. And he said, my wife is having a 40th birthday and we would like you and Helen and Jennifer, our daughter, because she'd been a baby at the time. They had, their, their little girl was a baby at that same time. Bring Jennifer along, we'll pay for you, we'll fly you over here. And when I flew over, I discovered he was, he, he, he was really quite a big knock. He had 50 odd lawyers working in his, uh, in his business. Um, she picked me up, she picked us up in her BMW and he was driving his Jaguar. And we, we felt, oh, you know, these people are really, you know, they're, they're really doing it. But when he picked us up from the, from the airport, 
driving from the airport to the hotel, we started sharing stories, catching up. I'd just come back from a mission to India. I had my first experience of praying for a blind man and God opening his eyes. And as I'm sharing all these stories about what God was doing in our life and the glory of the Lord at work in our life, he started to cry. And he said, oh, Al, this is just, just, just amazing. So all I knew was that he, was, he had a lot of money and, well, he seemed to have a lot of money. He had nice cars and a lot of people working for him. But after the party was all over, very expensive party, they said, could you stay behind? We'd like to talk. And we stayed behind an extra day and um, we talked. And then the truth came out. Things were not going well at all. Um, they were very deeply in debt. A lot of people working, but lots of, credit, lot, lots of debt piled up and they were in a crisis. But more than that, they were on the edge of, edge of a divorce. And as we talked about the call of God on our lives and the fact that we were living under the rulership of Jesus, not, we're not just doing our own thing here, I, I kind of tried to reach back into the, the anchor that we had in Christ and I discovered there was nothing there. There, there was nothing to draw on. There was no pull. I, I, I just had no point of connection. Um, the faith that had been so alive and rampant and so helpful to me had evaporated. And I'd ask myself the question, where did this go, mate? I mean, what happened to you? What was the moment when someone presented you with this brilliant argument that destroyed your faith? What, what was the crisis or the situation that dragged you down? And the reality was there was none of it. There was, there was no moment. One day at a time, he had neglected his faith. Wow. One day at a time, he just became a different person because that's how things happen. We become what we are one day at a time. And tragically, we had walked very different pathways over those 17 years. And I guess I was sitting there looking at the extraordinary impact of 17 years of neglect. The Bible has something to say about that. <clears throat> In fact, the book of Hebrews has a very pointed statement to every one of us at this time in our Christian life. For the last year, we have been living in a very different environment and when you do day after day of different life you can become a different person you never intended it but you did you became a different person the book of Hebrews was written to the early church at a time when everything was about to change the book of Hebrews it was written particularly to Jewish Christians because for 1,500 years they had had the law and that had culminated in the creation of Jerusalem and then eventually the temple which had been destroyed and then replaced and they had 1,500 years of tradition and it was about to be completely wiped away. Within a couple of years, not only would the temple be destroyed, Jerusalem would be destroyed and a few years after that it would be illegal for a, for a, a, a a Jewish person to even walk through the city. The Romans would run a plow through the city and banish Jews from what had been their traditional background. They were about to lose it all. And the book of Hebrews was to simply say to them, you need to know that what is behind you is about to be removed, but it is not a big deal because Jesus Christ 
is superior in every single way to what is about to be removed. So you look at Jesus and let the past go because the past is about to be wiped away. And in confronting us with that, the recognition that the old order was about to be swept away, the book of Hebrews begins, God in times past spoke unto our fathers by the prophets. But in these days has spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed the heir of all things. And so the supremacy of Jesus becomes the whole theme of the book of Hebrews. And as he begins to draw on the extraordinary, extraordinary ministry and reality of Jesus, he makes this statement. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. You don't have to deny your salvation to be damaged. You just have to neglect it. The word neglect in the New Testament is the word amaleo. It simply means this, to have no regard. It means to omit by carelessness or design. See, you could set out deliberately to ignore your salvation or, or just one day at a time it could creep up on you and suddenly you look back and you realize you've been doing a lot of days of neglect and and things have changed it means to fail to attend to or respect poor richard allman poor richard's almanac back in 1758 recorded this little thought a little neglect may breed mischief for want of a nail the shoe was lost for want of a shoe the horse was lost for want of a horse the rider was lost for want of a rider a king was lost and for the loss of a king a kingdom was lost <clears throat> all for the loss of a nail if only I just tapped that nail back in when it came loose Oh, it's only such a small thing. You know, but give it a little time, the shoe will fall off. The shoe falls off, suddenly the horse stumbles. Next thing you know, a rider has a broken neck. Before you know it, the king's word never goes out and the king uh, is lost. That's how it works in life. The Bible says this, therefore we must pay, must, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? That little reference there to the angels is a reflection back to Moses in the Old Testament which was testified to by angels. And the fundamental story of the law of Moses is very simply this. God is not only love, God is holy. 
One of the most important books I ever read years ago was Martin Lloyd-Jones on justification. And in reading that book, I came across a statement that totally changed my life. He made this point. He said, it is not easy for God to forgive sin. Well, that was totally the opposite of what I'd heard ever since I'd gone to church. What do you mean? It's God's business. I mean, that's got the business of God is the forgiveness of sins. I mean, what do you mean it's not easy for God to forgive sin? You see, you, you don't understand. You, you think God's like you are. You can just capriciously forgive or not. But God is the judge of the heavens and the earth. He is a righteous and a holy judge. How does a holy God ever forgive anything? And the message that the angels brought to us through the law was this. There will never be a single sin that will ever be overlooked because the moment God the Holy One overlooks a single sin, heaven will begin to degenerate into hell. And I'm hoping it never does because that's my destiny. The holiness of God will guard heaven and the message of the Old Testament was this, without the shedding of blood, there will never be the forgiveness of sins. You will either find your forgiveness through the blood of Jesus or you'll find it nowhere. And the Bible says it is given unto man once to die and after this comes the judgment. I mean, by and large, the world is kind of drifting through life with a mindset that Religion or Christianity is kind of an interesting offshoot that you can fool with now and then. But here's the universe. It exists by itself. And here we are alive with a life. And the purpose of life is to have as much fun as you possibly can before you die. And the reality is that the universe only exists by the power and the creative will of God. And the only reason the earth exists is because God is engaged in the eternal pursuit of a family. He is building a family. He is gathering together household of children for himself. Your life is probation. This life is probation. Will you engage with God? Will you receive him as your father? Will you, will you engage with the gift he has given in the forgiveness of the blood of Jesus or will you not? Because they, that is the whole purpose of the whole thing and it will one day be wrapped up in Jesus gathering this family and offering it back to God for all eternity. And yet we live in the world of Netflix in which endless distraction seems to be the purpose of life. And then you go into ISO and the greatest tragedy is if, if the NBN goes down, we're dead, we're finished. <laughs> and one day after another, we just live in a world of distraction. And in the midst of that, the thought of the primacy of our relationship with eternity gets lost in the, in the fog. Yeah. By the grace of God, the Bible says, pay closer attention to what you have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, what Rap said around the communion table is the fundamental truth. The fact is that the great day of atonement, if it was not for the, the, the goat that was offered 
to Jehovah and the scapegoat, there would be no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there'll never be the forgiveness of sins. And as a result, what the angels have, have uh, testified to is that every transgression or disobedience will receive a just retribution. Either it will be washed in the blood of Jesus or I will stand in the presence of God one day and render an account for it in my own life. And I live in the fear of God. Jesus said, fear not them that kill the body but have no power to touch your soul. Fear him rather who is able to destroy both your body and your soul in hell. I fear God. Fear Helen too, just by the way. <laughs> we have a great salvation. Yeah. Why is it so great? Well, because it's a universal need. You can't find anyone on the planet doesn't need this. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, we can be absolutely certain of this. There will not be a human being that has ever existed that will not be raised from the dead and stand in the presence of God and render account for the things that they've done in the body. Every one of us has sinned. There's no one who doesn't need this. Secondly, it's because its author is so awesome. It's the, God is the author of our salvation. I heard a story once about Picasso. He was in a restaurant. Great artist. He was scribbling away on a napkin. One of the people sitting at the table was very, very interested in that napkin because, oh, I'd love a napkin that Picasso scribbled on. At the end of the meal, they quietly said, do you mind if I have that napkin? He said, yeah, sure, take it for $10,000. Why so much money for a napkin? Because Picasso scribbled on it. This is a salvation authored by the creator of the heavens and the earth. Don't let this one slip from you. The reality is its results are so profound. That's why it's a great salvation. It can lift you from hell to heaven in a moment of time. And it's a great salvation because there's no substitute. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you might be saved. If you don't know Jesus, then there's a, the lack in your life. The one thing you need is lacking in your life. And you'd think that something this important, nobody would disrespect that nobody would allow that to get away but the reality is uh, Corey's been preaching the last five weeks on the uh, principles of the kingdom of heaven one of the things that, that runs right through a thread that runs through the parables of Jesus on the kingdom is that it is well possible for the kingdom to draw near to you and it doesn't produce in you what God intended Jesus said when the sower goes out to sow, he sows the word. Sometimes it lands on a heart that's like concrete. Don't understand it. The devil comes and takes it away. The kingdom drew near to you, but it didn't touch your life. Jesus said sometimes the word goes on to hardest ground or, or, or thin soil. And there's an immediate, oh yeah, that's very important. I've got to give, I've got to give that attention. It springs up. But the moment the pressure comes on, because that life draws on you, it has demands on you, it has claims on your life. The Bible says the moment the pressure comes on, it withers and dies because it had no depth, no root to it. Jesus said the, the sower goes out to sow and he sows it and the seed springs up. Before you know it, there's weeds everywhere. Jesus said the cares of this life and the deceitful of riches choke the thing out. The kingdom comes and it got choked Netflix got it. 
remember one old preacher saying, you don't get the anointing from watching gun smoke, mate. The reality is that while entertainment has its place, it can become a fatal addiction in our lives. It destroys the very life that God intended us to experience. Um, but Jesus said, you sow, the seed on, you sow, sow that seed on good soil. And it's held in a good and an honest heart and it can't help but produce the kingdom. Jesus said you've got to recognise that also sometimes it's just a length of time. One of his parables said the master was away for so long. They said, oh, he's been away for lives. Is it ever going to happen? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it'll, it'll happen. Through faith and patience we inherit the promises. We must never forget that this life is probation. When you, get, when you get a license these days, you don't get a full license. You get a probationary license. And the question is, are we going to give you a full license? Well, it depends how you respond to this responsibility. And this life is probation for eternity. Will you engage with God as your Father? Will you embrace Jesus as your King? And in this life, um, you experience the opportunity to embrace the gift of eternal life. Don't let it drift away. And there's a solution to this. The solution to neglect is respect. Respect your salvation. Well, how am I supposed to do that? Well, thankfully, the same book that says in the second chapter, don't let this get away from you. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? At the end, it has some conclusions. It got some help for you. And I want to give you four simple things from the same book of Hebrews that are the solution. They are the antidote to neglect. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 to 25. Let me read it to you. How do I escape neglect? Respect your salvation. Firstly, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Here's the first one, draw near. Secondly, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Hold fast your confession. Thirdly, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Number three, engage. And fourthly, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's just take a moment and apply these to our lives today. I do not want to get to the end of my life and discover that I've drifted. I sat opposite my friend, a uh, who was so inspirational to me and discovered that there was nothing left, nothing to draw on, simply through disrespect. And here is the first, draw near. Well, how do you do that? Well, let me tell you how it worked for me. Right at the very beginning of my walk with God, I learned to draw near. And the way that worked best for me was I found an, an old preacher in Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the greatest preachers of the last century. His home base was Westminster Chapel in, in London. And uh, his preaching, maybe for some of us it'd be a bit old, but it was Reformation preaching and it was, to me it was just, it was just pure gold. 
And he began to put out books back in the 50s and the 60s. He preached for 15 years on the book of Romans every Friday night. And the books began to come out. And the first book I bought, Christian book, deliberately was Romans chapters 3 and 4. And it was in that book that I read that sentence that changed my life. It is not easy for God to forgive sin. And when I read that, it just, I, I realized, of course, that's why the cross was necessary. I had never said it out loud, but you sometimes wonder why all this, why make it so hard? Well, just forgive people. Jesus could have come, born of a virgin, um, grown up under the law. He could have done all of his miracles, stood up with his disciples and said, he that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live and ascended into heaven. And if he'd done that, you'd still be in your sins. Because without the shedding of blood, there shall never be the soul that sins shall die. The wages of sin is death. Without the shedding of blood, there will never, and for the first time in my life, I fully, I saw it. How desperately Christ was needed by every human being to make us right with a holy God. Well, I began to read his books. And it was this was every night I'd read a sermon. That was my devotional thing. And as I read, I developed a theology. I began to understand the Bible in ways I'd never done before. It was the seriousnesses and the reality of it that kind of gripped me. And out of that, I began to grow and I began to develop. I had uh, the experience in 1986 of listening to a good man unpack the Lord's Prayer and give me a pattern for prayer so that I could walk uh, for an hour and use the Lord's Prayer as a pattern. That helped me to draw near. The reality is this, that you've got to find a way. Fasting and prayer proved to me to be a breakthrough. I discovered this in Bible college. One of the things, I'd never really heard much about fasting and prayer. I was a Lutheran. We didn't fast and pray. Uh, it wasn't something I, I'd never heard anyone talk about fasting. And yet I discovered it to be like the atomic weapon of ministry. No one ever told me about this. In Bible college, I encountered that. And out of that, I developed a skill. I knew if I, my back was to the wall and I there was facing a challenge, I knew where to go. And one of the things every one of us need to develop, we need to, we need to discover the ways of drawing near that really work for us. Come and ask someone, say, how do you draw near? What do you, in fact, um, I've often gone up to preachers that I feel are really hit, hitting the mark and say, tell me, explain to me, how do you get this from God? What, what's your process? And I like to hear what they have to say about that because you've got to learn to draw near and it's a choice. Yeah. One day at a time. Reality is that you can neglect your body. I was 121 and a half kilograms uh, two years ago and uh, I didn't get that through a single meal. If I could have just found out what day that happened, I would have rebuked that day. Well, I discovered it actually took quite a lot of days to get that out. I mean, uh, that's, that's not how big bellies come, mate. They come one day at a time. And the, the disappointment sometimes is was the, the getting it off again is one day at a time. But you've got to begin to make choices one day at a time because if you neglect your body, you, you, you can be in serious trouble. You know, you, you can neglect your marriage. Your marriage can begin to fall apart. You're just one day at a time of, of disrespectful behaviour. Before you know it, you've lost your marriage. You can do it with your car. Just bother, don't bother to get it serviced. You know, never blow up the tires. Just disrespect it. You'll be walking a long way. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> One day it'll get your attention. You can do it with your house. You can simply neglect it. Never paint anything. Never fix anything. Never change. One day you'll say, "Well, who did this to my house? The devil did this." No. One day at a time, buddy. That's how it 
when it comes to drawing near, you've got to learn the one day at a time. What, what do I do today? Because there's no great giant leap into respect. It's one simple decision at a time. Here's the second one. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Hope is sometimes damaged. One of the great things when there's this, when there's this deep sense within you that God listens to your prayer and he's on your case and you're in partnership with him, life is exciting. Christianity is a, is a lousy spectator sport. There's not a lot of fun in watching other people do Christianity. The thrill of Christianity is engaging with God and seeing God at work in your life. And every now and then there are seasons where hope can be damaged. And often it's damaged because you prayed a certain way and you were persistent and and it didn't work out the way you expected it. And now you feel hurt. Now you feel kind of, well, what's the point? So I remember a moment like this. It changed my life. I was leading an outreach in my own home. Kids turn up every Friday night. And we we were having a revival in our school and and I burst a disc in my back. Uh, Ended up in Austin Hospital. And while I was lying there in Austin Hospital, I I developed a sense, a hope that God would do a miracle because I was in the middle of leading a revival at the school and the whole school knew that I wasn't at school because I had had, had burst a disc. I was in hospital. And I thought, God, this is it. I see it. I see it all. Lord, the potential is amazing here. You see, you send an angel, he'll rub my back. I'll, I'll burst out of here with a brand new back and I'll... I can see myself standing on the auditorium on a Monday morning assembly proclaiming the Lord, an angel touched my back, the glory of the Lord filled the hospital room, doctors were weeping, nurses got saved. I can, I can picture teachers weeping on the floor, students falling off, revival breaks out in Melbourne, goes to Sydney and Adelaide, jumps the Pacific into the United States of America. I can see it all, this back is the beginning of of worldwide revival, a TV program. (laughs) And I was believing God for a miracle. Found a passage in the Bible that said, uh, in the Psalms, not a bone of his body will be broken, Psalm 34. I thought, well, it's about Jesus, but it could be about me too. And when the surgeon came to me and said, well, Al, we're going to need to do a laminectomy to fix your back. And he said, well, he drew me pictures. We have to take a bit of bone. I said, oh, Psalm 34, not a bone of my body shall be broken. I got this thing signed. Oh, that's it's all signed up now for a miracle. I could hardly sleep waiting for this angel to turn up and open my back. When, when I woke up after the operation and I realised none of it had come to pass, I was so disappointed with God. Did you not get the memo? Did you... Did you... You missed... Did you not see the potential? I was so miserable. I couldn't open my Bible for six months. So what's the point of opening your Bible? Do you think you get something? The thing that saved me was this. <clears throat> I didn't do an Alex. I didn't drift. And the reason I did, didn't was because I couldn't. The kids kept showing up on a Friday night. And I, I wasn't prepared to get stand up and say, oh, you know, I used to believe this stuff, but, you know, I had a bad back and it didn't get healed. I'm just not... I, I don't believe Jesus anymore. No, 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 no way. I'd open my Bible and I'd start preaching. And the moment I did, I'd feel the life of God and I'd feel God's approval. Good boy, that's the way. Tell them the truth. And I'd preach it to the kids and for 20 minutes I'd feel alive 
And then the kids would go home and I'd shut my Bible and like a bear I'd creep back in my thing, oh, you do, I didn't get my mirror, I'm very happy, happy with you. <clears throat> I got so miserable, I got so miserable, I had a, one year where I just felt like I was like a dry stick. And I woke up one Sunday morning and I got down on my knees in my study and I said to God, I was, I'm nearly dead. I'm, this is, I'm, I'm in a bad way. And if I don't change, I don't know where we go from here. Lord, I'll do anything. That's what I said in that study that morning. I'll do anything. Well, I went to church and they preached on Bible college. And next thing you know, I'm standing in an altar call. I've got a wife and three kids. What am I going to do? Going to Bible college. I'm standing in an altar call. So I quit my job and I went to, I went to Bible college. And I'm still not happy with God. My first couple of weeks in Bible college, I went out for a walk and I said to God, we better talk this through. Because if I'm going to give up my teaching and I'm coming here to Bible college, it's not good if you and I have a problem. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm really relying on you here. And I said to God, I don't understand you. I felt like you missed it. And um, I, I just don't get it. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I refuse to let this be my defining moment. Because if I let this be my defining moment, I'll be miserable and unbelieving and I won't pray for people and I won't pray for myself. And I don't want to live that way. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. If you'd ever like to explain this to me, I'd, I'd be really pleased. But I'm going to put in a bottle and I'm going to mark an AFL, awaiting further light. And if you ever explain it to me, I'll be thrilled. But if you never talk to me about it again, I simply refuse to let this be my defining moment. And out of that, I determined that I would hold fast the confession of my faith that if God be for me, who dare stand against me, and that, that contradiction will not be the defining moment of my life. Now, there may be some of you here today that need to make a decision like that because enough is enough. There's got to come a point where you say, I didn't understand it, okay, but I refuse to let this disappointment destroy my hope for all that I'm so glad I made that decision because all of the things, I would never have prayed for that blind man in India and had God out in his eyes. If I'd let that be my defining moment, I wouldn't be standing here today. I'd be with Alex somewhere, drifting. But I'm not with Alex. I'm standing here in love with God, determined that I'm going to be fruitful till the day I die. And today I say to you, it may be necessary for you to make a decision. I've got to plant my foot on the ground so I'm not going to be defined by that disappointment. I begin again, Lord. I will trust you with my whole heart. Someone will be here to pray with you. Thirdly, consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. It is so vital to be part of a team somewhere serving the goodness of God. You must not allow yourself to drift away into isolation for the next year. Now, I've got to say that, that the ISO experience damaged, my, damaged me emotionally in the sense that I started to fear hugging people. You, start, you don't want to meet people anymore. You go out for a walk and everyone's stepping out the road. You start feeling like a leper, unclean, unclean. <laughs> And that was an appropriate. That was appropriate. We were all giving ourselves, you know, the space and the masks and stuff. It, it, it was appropriate, but it can begin to damage your psyche, and you start fearing being with people, and you start, oh yeah, no, I think I'll. And you get up in the morning in your jammies and you watch on TV. Oh, it was really brilliant. No, no. Thank God for all the stuff that allowed us to. See
survive and get through and maintain connections, but we've got to appreciate something. There is nothing like embracing company. The crowd you hang with will make you or break you. You've got to find a way to serve. Why am I still here? Because early in our, in our walk with Jesus, we discovered that we could make a difference. We opened our home. And it was those kids turning up on Friday night. They wouldn't let me backslide. They kept expecting something from me. And because I just ex- continued to embrace the call, I survived the time I'm still here. You've got to get connected somewhere where you are stirring up love and good works. Get in a team. And finally... And do not neglect the gathering of yourselves together as the manner of some is. The Bible says you've got to embrace community. Increasingly, even before this was happening, or before we had the COVID disruption, there, was an, there has been, and I've watched it now over the past few years, an increasing tendency for Christians to become casual about worship and faithful church life. The fact is I was brought up in a home where my dad demonstrated to me the value of faithfulness. I never woke up once on a Sunday morning to have dad saying, I have a look at that, sweetheart, look at that, blue sky out there, fantastic. What do you reckon, sweetheart? Church or fishing? What do you think, sweet? Church or fishing? My dad, we never had that conversation once in my family. My dad said to me one Sunday morning, he said, son, we're Christians, we worship. It was so simple, I didn't even have to write it down. It was just, I I just, could you remember it? I'm a Christian, I worship. And as a result, one day at a time, one Sunday at a time, my father built into me a respect for worship. Partly I am still healthy and alive in Christ, because of the thing that was planted in me one day at a time as a child. You may feel, you know, you can get up and watch on TV in your jammies. Listen, if you're going to watch on TV, at least get up and put on a suit. <laughs> put a bit of effort into it. Come on. But what your kids need to see in you and what others need to see in you is that there is a respect for the house of God and a respect for communion, a respect for community worship that has you faithfully one day at a time, uh, leaning into a great salvation. What decision do you need to make today? I made a decision um, in January, listening to Pastor Corey preaching on the kingdom, to just read my way through the Bible again. I got myself onto the Crossway app and started reading uh, 20 days ago through a new birth. I bought a new Bible, a new ESV, big Bible. And every morning I'm preaching, going to read my way right through that Bible again. It's just one of the ways in which I will draw near this year. What do you need to do? You need to download a Bible app and start a regular daily morning encounter or evening encounter. Is it the, the, the time of fasting and prayer that's coming up starting next week? What is it that you need to do? What decision do you need to make about the disappointments or to revive hope in you that God's alive in you and working through you? What decision do you need to make about the deliberate connection with a community of believers that stir up love and good works? And what decision do you need to make about your embracing of the gathering together of God's people? Thank you for joining us for this message today. 
We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.